And just one more time, let me welcome you to Cornerstone Presbyterian Church if you're visiting with us this morning. My name is Ben Griffith. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be leading us through our passage this morning. We find our way in Mark's gospel in chapter 10 this morning. The last two weeks, Nate has had to preface uh, the sermons by saying this is going to be a very heavy topic, right? The last two weeks, we've talked about hell. We've talked about divorce. This morning, I feel like we're coming up for air a little bit. We're talking about children. So um, I, for one, am thankful for that. Uh, Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. You see our passage printed there in your bulletin. This has only happened just a few times in recent history, um, and, it, and it takes some kind of monumentally catastrophic um, natural disaster, like a Category 5 hurricane or an earthquake that measures way up on the Richter scale for this to happen. Something happens that you would think would be impossible. Something happens, and I'm sure the folks that saw it the first time thought that the world was coming to an end. It happened for the first time that we know of back in 1812 after a violent earthquake in Missouri. It happened again after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, and it happened again in 2012 after Hurricane Isaac. Here's what happened. The Mississippi River, the biggest river and body of water flowing in North America, started flowing backwards. It's, it normally goes that direction, but on these days, after these catastrophic natural disasters, it started flowing that way, in the opposite direction, away from the Gulf of Mexico where it always flowed. Can you imagine standing there on the banks of the river that day? And if you've grown up on the river, you're, you think there are two constants in this world, two things that never will change. The sun always rises over there, and the river always flows over there, always. Everything else might change, but that never changes. Only a monumentally violent and catastrophic event like a hurricane or an earthquake can make the Mississippi River flow backwards. 182,000 cubic feet per second. That's a lot of water to change directions, to turn, to go in the opposite direction. Something unimaginably powerful has to come and impose its will on something like that to make it turn. Now, I want to invite you this morning to think about the kingdom of God like that. The kingdom of God is like a hurricane or an earthquake that Jesus announces at the beginning of his gospel is at hand. It's come. He says the kingdom of God is at hand, but it comes like an earthquake. It comes like an earthquake that measures a 50 on the Richter scale or a, 35, a category 35 hurricane. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is announcing that has come, that's arrived, that's on the scene. It's come to impose itself on the way that the world normally operates, on the ways that our hearts normally operate. It's come to reverse the flow of the way that this world normally flows, the way that our hearts normally flow. The kingdom of God that Jesus says is here in, because he's here, is a catastrophically violent event in the very best ways possible <laughs> that's come to change the way that the world flows and the ways that our hearts flow ever since Genesis 3. It's come to take up residence in the center of a person's life 
And it reorients a person's perspective. It changes the flow of our loves and what we want and what we value. It changes the trajectory of our lives. Um, Jesus says that's what's come. That's what's here because I am here. And when the kingdom comes, it changes the flow of the way that we're normally used to thinking about things flowing. Now, we've seen that already a little bit so far. Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. You see how Jesus is changing the normal flow and direction of the way that things typically flow in this world. He says, whoever would save his life will actually end up losing it. But if you want to, if whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. You see, he's reversing the flow there. Paul refers to this when he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The gospel, the kingdom of God, reverses the flow of the way that we normally think of things flowing in this world. The gospel is the, of the kingdom is the good news that God has drawn near to us in the person and work of Christ, but he's drawn near like a hurricane, like an earthquake, to change the landscape of our hearts, to eventually change the landscape of this entire world. He reverses the flow of our hearts and he invites us into a kingdom that's flowing in a different direction than this world. And that's what we're going to see this morning in our passage. We're going to see that again. We're going to see how that's operating again in this passage. That the gospel reverses the way that we typically think about who has access to the kingdom of God and how someone has access to the kingdom of God. Who is it? that is welcomed into the kingdom, and how does one have access into the blessing of the kingdom? We're going to see that Jesus has come to announce the reversal of the way that we typically answer those questions and think about those, those things. Let's see how that's at work this morning. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16, this is God's word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, here we are one more time, like little children gathering around your feet, and we pray that you would bless us. We come with nothing but our need. We come with nothing but all of the reasons that actually disqualify us. And we trust, and we trust that you will accept us because you love us not because we could ever earn or merit that love, but because you are a God who is love. And so come, O oh Lord, give us yourself one more time. Let us have eyes to see ourselves the way that we really are so that we can see you as you really are. And in that way, continue to change, to turn, and to transform us more and more into the people that you would have us to be. And we pray that, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So on the surface, it's, it's tempting 
uh, to think that Mark is here recording for us just another cute, sentimental episode about how much Jesus loves children. And it is, it is welcome after the last two passages of talking about hell and divorce, right? It's easy to, to maybe come across this passage and think about this as kind of, you know, one of those all that sweet kind of moments in the Gospels, right? And then just keep on going. Or maybe if you're cynical, it's possible to see Jesus here as just another politician posing for a photo shoot and using children as props. Maybe this is just a, a PR stunt um, of Jesus. He, just, he's, he gets mad at the disciples because they were taking away some good publicity. You know, politicians love to shake hands and kiss babies. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing here if we're just being cynical. But rather than being sentimental and rather than being cynical, I want us to hear Jesus teaching us one more time about the radical nature of the kingdom of God here. The kingdom of God has drawn near in the person and work of Jesus Christ like a hurricane, like an earthquake. He's drawn near to change the landscape of our hearts and to reverse the flow of how we typically think about this world working. The, the, the natural flow and current of our hearts, the way that we come into this world wired to think and to, and, to, and to operate. And we see that work in two ways in this passage. The gospel reverses the way that we typically think about, number one, who has access to the kingdom of God? Who is it that gets in? And then secondly, how one has access to the kingdom of God? Um, how do you get in? Who gets in? And how do you get in? Jesus in this passage is teaching us that the gospel has come to change the flow of how we normally answer those two questions. So first of all, how does Jesus reverse the way that we typically think about who has access to the kingdom of God? To begin to answer that question, let's start in verse 13. Mark tells us that, that all the local Israelite parents were bringing their children out to him. And the Greek word here means little children. These were these were children that were, that were small enough for Jesus to take into his arms, we hear later in verse, in verse 16. Think about this. There was something about Jesus' demeanor. These, these local Israelite parents had been around Jesus long enough to notice something about his character and about his demeanor, his way of relating to them, that made him assume that he would be interested in their children. That he, that he actually wasn't just uh, neutral towards their children, but that he was deeply interested in and wanted to be around their children. And listen, that's just not an assumption that most Israelite parents were making in that day. That is not an assumption that you made about uh, the, the typical religious celebrity uh, figures. It wasn't the kind of assumption that you made about any kind of grown-up authority figure back then, that they would be interested in your children, but there was something about Jesus that gave them that impression, and so they bring their children to Jesus. But the disciples, however, they had taken it upon themselves to be Jesus' security detail. They were acting like Jesus' bouncers, his bodyguards. And so imagine the disciples, they're, they're standing there um, that day like those people that scan your tickets going into a concert or going into a basketball game or a football game or something like that. You have to get through them, present your ticket to them, and they let you through the gate. That's how the disciples are acting 
um, on this day. And if you have the right kind of ticket, they scan it and you get through just fine. Now, what was the ticket that the disciples were looking for? What kind of ticket did they require in order to let these people through to go see Jesus? Well, here it was. Are you important enough? Are you a somebody? Do you have, do you have any kind of significance, any kind of status? Are you worth the master's time and energy? Are you the kind of person that he's going to be interested in? You see, that's the ticketing system that the disciples are working with. They were just trying to protect Jesus' schedule. They're, they, they know that he's busy. Um, he's been doing a lot and seeing a lot of people, and they're trying to triage here. And so let the people through that Jesus is going to be interested in, but don't let the people through that he's obviously not going to be interested in, who don't have a ticket. And here come these parents. Here comes this ragtag group of parents with their little children in dirty diapers and sippy cups and goldfish and pacifiers. They're expecting to get through to Jesus, and they obviously don't have any tickets. The disciples, look, they don't even have to ask. They know that this group of people with their children, they don't have the right ticket to get in. Now listen, the man who shows up in the next passage after this one, the man we're going to be talking about next week, this rich young ruler that shows up and says, how do I inherit eternal life? That's the kind of guy they were looking for. That's the kind of guy that rolls up with a roll full of tickets. This guy was an Israelite. He was living a good, upstanding, moral life. He was rich. That's the kind of guy they were looking for. This guy had a handful of tickets, but these, po- these folks, this crowd of little children, the disciples' attitude just like the rest of the world around them, was, look, go home, grow up a little bit, and come back when you're somebody that matters a little bit more. Because children back in that day, back in that culture, in that society, they lacked significance. They lacked status. They they just weren't that important. Uh, Now, it was a little bit better in, in Israelite culture than in the surrounding Roman culture, but Still, children in that day were nobodies who were growing up into somebodies, but they weren't somebodies yet. They had no social standing because children can't do a lot right for the people around you, for the culture around you. They can, they can receive, but in terms of contributing to the welfare of the people and society around them, They're pretty low on the ladder if that's how you value a person's significance. If that's how you think about a person's worth in terms of what they bring to the table, children just didn't bring that much to the table. So according to the ticketing system of the world, the way that we typically value worth and significance, children don't have tickets. They don't have access and the disciples had absorbed that, va- that kind of value system. That's the ticketing system that they're working with. Now, let's pause there. Children, talking to you now, okay? Everybody 12 years old, let's say 11, 12 years old and younger, listen, listen carefully if you're still listening after everything that you just heard. Because let's be honest, like, your feelings are probably a little bit hurt right now, right? Like everything that I just said is pretty messed up, isn't it? That's pretty backwards. The adults really got this one wrong, didn't they? They really did. And you know what? You're right. They totally messed this one up. And we adults have been messing this kind of thing up for 
forever. We've been messing this up for a long time. Adults can really get into bad habits of thinking and bad ways of thinking about the world and what really matters and what's really important. And listen, kids, that's why we need Jesus so much, (laughs) to save us from the kind of people that we turn into when we're adults. Anyway, the, the children, they have no tickets to offer to the disciples, and so the disciples turn them away. And it's at this point that something pretty shocking happens, something pretty surprising. This sets Jesus off in a way that nothing else does in the Gospel of Mark. Mark writes, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Only time that this word is used talking about Jesus in the whole of of Mark's Gospel And this word is not just referring to Jesus, you know, being just slightly put off or annoyed. This word refers to being, to heart-pounding, blood-racing, eyes-popping, hand-shaking, kind of righteously angry. Jesus is royally, perfectly, righteously set off by what the disciples are doing here. Why? Why is he so mad? Here's why. Because the disciples, when they turned away the people that they had identified as being insignificant nobodies and assuming that God shared their opinion of these people, they were telling a lie about the very character of God. They were telling a lie about what God is like, a lie from the pit of hell. They were telling a lie about who God is and what he's like. They were telling the very people that God is interested in that God is not interested in them. And Jesus jumps in and he says, let them come to me. These are the people I came for. These are the only people I'm interested in. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such as these, meaning to them and to people like them to people on the margins, to people who have nothing to offer, for the people who have no tickets, for the people who can't contribute anything, for the people who know they don't bring anything to the table, who know they don't meet any of the qualifications, to such as these, Jesus says, belongs the kingdom of God. Let them come to me. Now listen, this is a sobering thought. Let's just pause right here. Get ready. Do we, do, we realize, do we realize that we're either telling a truth about God or a lie about God in the way that we treat the people around us that have nothing to contribute to us? Do we realize that we're either telling the truth about God or a lie? That's a humbling thought. It's a sobering thought. Do we realize as Christians how deeply emotionally invested our Savior is in in us communicating to the world around us what he's really like? Do we ever imagine how much it breaks Jesus' heart when the people who are supposed to represent him to the world tell a lie about his character and end up excluding the very people that Jesus came for? Do we know how much it hurts him? Do we ever think about that? It's a sobering thought. Jesus says, to them... To such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Now listen, don't hear something that Jesus isn't saying. He's 
He's not saying that all children are saved automatically and just for, in virtue of the fact that, that they're children. He's not saying that children come into this world innocent and sinless and then turn into sinners. And as long as they stay children, then the kingdom belongs to them. But if they grow up and become sinners, then the kingdom doesn't. He's, the whole story of the Bible would, would go against that kind of narrative, that we're born into sin. It's not, it's, it's not that children have this innate kind of innocent quality about them. See, it's not, it's not the children's innocence that he's referring to. It's their insignificance. He's holding the children up, the children that that culture and society looked so down on as representatives of a larger class of people, to people who are, in Jesus' language, such as them. In other words, people who know themselves to be needy and dependent in the sight of God. People who know they have nothing to offer people who bring nothing to the table and who feel their weakness, who know that they don't have a ticket, <laughs> people that have nothing on their spiritual resume except all the reasons why Jesus shouldn't accept them. It's, it's not the somebodies. It's not the successful. It's not the moral and the good. The people that we, the people that the world would typically think have access to the kingdom of God, the people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and make it on their own. Jesus is completely reversing the flow here, and he says it's the people who know that they shouldn't belong there. It's the people who are weak and bring that, that neediness and their weakness to him, that that's who belongs but listen, that means we've got a huge problem. There's a huge, ginormous problem here because we don't want to be this kind of person. I don't want to be this kind of person. Everything about the way that our hearts are wired, about the way we come into this world, everything about the way that the current and the flow of our hearts work, we don't want to be this needy and this dependent. We want to run away from our weakness. We want to camp out in the places of our strengths. We don't want to be more childlike. We want to be less childlike, right? We want to grow up. You see, the problem is, is that we're fiercely committed to being independent and capable and strong. And listen, that means that we're also fiercely committed to being the kind of people that Jesus said he didn't come for. And that's a huge problem. <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew, unless you turn, unless you change, unless you repent and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. He says You've, something's got to happen to that flow in your heart, to the way that you normally think about the way that this world works and how access to God and his blessing works. You've got to turn like the Mississippi River and flow in the opposite direction. From strength to weakness, from independence back into dependence. You see, weakness and dependence, we want to grow out of that, and Jesus wants to grow us further into that. But here's the good news. We may be committed, because the way our hearts typically work, to not being childlike, but Jesus is more committed <laughs> than we are. He's more committed to us, to turning us and to changing us by his grace into the kind of person that he came for. 
the kind of person to which the kingdom of God belongs. You see, he saves you by his grace at the beginning, and he keeps transforming you by his grace more and more, turning that flow, that current in your heart, (laughs) completing that good work that he began in you. And often that process, that process that that we sometimes call sanctification, it doesn't feel like growing up. Sometimes it feels like growing down, more into childlikeness. You may be familiar with the short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, it was turned into a movie back in 2008. Brad Pitt starred in it. And look, it is a weird story. It's a strange movie. Um, I've only seen the movie. haven't read the story. But it's about this man who is born old. He's born old at the end of his life in a nursing home, and, and he ages in reverse. <laughs> he ages in reverse. Instead of growing up, he grows down. And for the first part of his life, it's a wonderful gift. He, he, he regains his strength and his capacities and his gifts. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. He, he, he becomes stronger as he grows down. He, he, he approaches the prime of his life in reverse, as he grows from old to young. So here's the thing, growing up for Benjamin Button, it looked like growing down. It looked like growing down from an old man into a young man, and then into a teenager, and then into an adolescent, and then into a little toddler and into a baby. The more that he grows up, the more helpless he gets, the more weak and vulnerable. It's a strange story, isn't it? And the illustration obviously breaks down somewhere, but here's the point. That's the plot line. That's the trajectory of Christian growth. Growing up looks like growing down into children before the throne of God above. (laughs) We grow down more and more into our weakness, into our neediness, into, our, into dependence, because as we do that, we're growing more up into his strength and into his grace and his heart. It's as we grow down that we begin to see ourselves as we really are and as we've been the whole time. And it's there that we begin to, to get to know him for who he really is and who he's been the whole time. How is Jesus at work in your life doing this right now? How's he growing you down? What struggles, trials, frustrations has he introduced into your life that that feels like your growth has come to a stop or it feels like you're growing backwards? These struggles, these trials, they feel like interruptions in, in your Christian life and it feels like This is something that God obviously can't do something with. But what if those are the places where he's actually growing you? What if those are the places where he's actually at work the most? Growing you down into dependence, into weakness. Growing you away from your own strength and into his growing you down deeper into dependence and reliance on his grace. Growing up in the Christian life looks like growing down. 
So how are you growing up these days? <laughs> how is Jesus at work doing that in your life right now? And how does that change the way that you look at your life? The way that you look at those trials? The way that you look at those frustrations? So first of all, Jesus has come. The kingdom of God has come like an earthquake, like, like a hurricane, to change the way that we typically think about what growth looks like and about who has access to the kingdom of God. It's not the people that we think would qualify. It's the people that know that they don't qualify. Secondly, how does Jesus reverse the way that we typically think about how we have access to the kingdom, about how we have access to the kingdom? In verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So how do we enter it? How do we have access to it? How do we move towards it? Jesus says, by receiving it. By receiving it. Now, this turns on its head. It, re it completely reverses the flow of the way that we typically think and the way that this world thinks about how someone is made right with God, about how someone has access to God's blessing, the way we think about how we enter into blessed life. You see, the normal current, the normal flow, flows like this, from performance into acceptance, from achievement into reward, from measuring up into blessing. Um, and Jesus says, it, Jesus says the, the kingdom of God has come like an earthquake to completely reverse the way that that flow typically works. We're used to thinking that if you want to be blessed, if you want to enter into right relationship with God, you do the right things, you be the right kind of person, and you live the right kind of life. And Jesus says the kingdom of God has come to completely reverse that flow. It says that if you come empty-handed, if you come honest about all the reasons that you don't measure up, about all the ways that you haven't performed, all the ways that you've failed, all the, all the reasons that you shouldn't have access, when you come with nothing except your need, not only does he invite you in, but he gives you everything, everything that he has to offer. You enter by receiving. See, entering, that, that idea implies forward motion, doesn't it? Entering implies walking towards. It, 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 it implies movement forward. And Jesus says, here's how you move forward towards the kingdom of God. You stand still and you hold your hands out. And you say, you've got to move forward towards me. That's what moving forward looks like in the kingdom. That's how you enter it. And it's how you stay there. By standing still and holding your hands out like a little kid before their parents saying, I need you to move towards me. So growing up looks like growing down, and moving forward looks like standing still with your hands out and receiving. That's what the kingdom of God does to the way that this world normally operates and the way that our hearts normally operate. There's a story that Sally Lloyd-Jones writes. It's a little children's story called Just Because You're Mine that I think illustrates this so well. It's a story about... A father squirrel who's playing in the forest with his little son squirrel, and they're just running around having a great time in the trees, and father squirrel says, son, you know I love you, right? And little red squirrel says, 
you love me because I'm so fast, don't you? And the father says, I do love you, but that's not why I love you. He says, you love me because I'm so brave, don't you? Father says, I, I do love you, and you are brave, but that's not why I love you. You love me because I'm so handsome. You love me because I'm so smart. And he keeps on going on and on, listing all of these qualities about himself that he thinks has earned the father's love. And at the end of the story, the father says, that's not why I love you. You are brave. You are handsome. You are strong and fast. But I love you because you're mine. That's why I love you. You see, we come into this world hardwired to think like, like that little squirrel. Performance flows towards acceptance. And Jesus has come to reverse that flow, to say, I love you because you're mine, and now you can live out of that acceptance. Now you can be who you are out of the love that I've given to you. <laughs> you enter the kingdom of God. You enter into blessing by standing still with your hands out and saying, I don't deserve this. And Jesus saying, finally, you are who the kingdom of God belongs to. How's that at work in your life this morning? How is Jesus growing you down? How is Jesus forcing you to stop and to hold your hands out? Because that's where blessing that's where Jesus comes and blesses us. You see, the story ends with this vignette of Jesus holding the little children in his arms and blessing them. What did they do? They did nothing except come to him. And Jesus says that's the posture that you begin with in the Christian life and that you continue in all of the Christian life. <laughs> all of my blessing is waiting for you <laughs> As you stop and hold your hands out and see that I've come, not only so that you can belong to the kingdom of God, but so that, but so that the kingdom of God can belong to you. And the kingdom of God is all summed up in the king himself. You see, he's come to give himself to those who have nothing to offer. <laughs> May we... May we continue in that posture all the days of our lives. And if you've never known the beauty and the freedom and the joy of that posture, then may you know it for the first time this morning because he's inviting and welcoming you in with your empty hands. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you make that true of us? Would you, by your grace, melt our hearts either for the first time or for the 10,000th time as you grow us up by growing us down, and as you make us stop and put our hands out to receive, to receive the King who has come to give us himself. Lord Jesus, make that true of us this morning, and we pray that, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.